Eisenberg on WHMP. This is indeed Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. Welcome to the show. We have with us in the studio today Pocky Whelan and Priscilla Lynch, names probably known to many of our listeners. Pocky and Priscilla are well-known political activists. Pocky, a longtime Northampton resident, now lives in Greenfield. Priscilla Lynch, who is from Conway. When I asked them this morning, what would their preference be as to being, as to how to be introduced? And I said, longtime political activist, which is true. Of course, many people know Priscilla for her work with Code Pink and the Wendell State Forest Alliance. Pocky for so many political actions in the Valley for Let's not date ourselves, Pocky. A long time? Can we go with a long time? time We're going to go with a long time. Good troublemakers indeed. They're here with us today because we want you to know about what is happening in Northfield this weekend, an attempt to save the Connecticut River. A protest brought to you by the Connecticut River Defenders, Pocky Willen and Priscilla Lynch. Both are members of the Connecticut River Defenders. So let's start with you, Pocky. What is the Connecticut River Defenders, and what is happening this Sunday, the 23rd at 2 o'clock, this Sunday, the 23rd at 2 o'clock, the attempt to save our river? Pocky? Yes, big rally. We're holding a big rally. It's the opportunity here. You talk the talk, and we're inviting you and all of our listeners to walk the walk to join us at the uh, at the pump station itself in Northfield, Northfield okay. Mountain. And what is the dispute that is going on now. There's a relicensing fight. That's really what it's about. Tell our listeners what this fight is about and why it matters so much. For decades, as long as we've been activists, the Connecticut River has been sucked up from below it, this pumping station, and from above it into the mountain. And, And it's destroying all life in the river. And it's been doing that for decades. And a year ago, Carl Meyer took a group of us to see this and to learn about it. And we are so on fire that we joined and formed this Connecticut River Defenders. And we're inviting you listeners to join us. This is a battle we can win. Uh, We're applying to FERC, who is the licensing bureau. That is the Federal Energy Regulatory Regulatory Commission. Commission. The FERC. The FERC, that four-letter F word, FERC. And so, so we're asking people to write to FERC to let them know that we're against relicensing. They, they were due to be relicensed in, nine, in 2018, and they have been operating on temporary licensure since then. So this is a question of effectively relicensing permanently the Northfield pumping station. Right. What is it about the Northfield pumping station, which I guess we should describe as, as you have, that this pumping station pumps the Connecticut River water up to the station, and then it comes down the mountain to create electricity. Yes. What's the problem? Well, Why is this so bad for the river? All right, there are a few, a few big problems. First of all, when it sucks everything, it kills everything it pulls in, and there's a lot of life on the river, as we all know. So that's number one. Uh, number kills two, kills the fish. It kills the fish, kills, kills the, the larvae. Kills, kills the larvae, kills... Yeah. kills Yes. kills the river. Everything that's alive right there. It just goes through the, the processing, the food processor, takes it up. And what happens is they, they call themselves a hydro uh, water, you know, a hydroelectric pumping station, pumping station or, which in fact is, is totally false because they use fossil fuels to get all the water up using more fossil fuel to get the water up than is produced by their hydroelectric when the water comes down. They also 
pump it up when it's cheaper, and they sell it back to the grid when it's more expensive. So this, who is this corporation? It is First Light, a Canadian corporation that's doing this. And we're saying to FERC, do not relicense them. And we're asking people to also, so, so there'll be literature for people to follow up, how to follow up with FERC. And, and we're asking people to get in touch with the local energy commissions, with the state D Department of Energy. So who is relicensing? Is it just the FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or is it also the state? Uh, Priscilla Lynch, can you help us on this? Yeah, it's FERC that will do the relicensing, but soon at the end of May, um, the water quality assessment will kick in, and that will be done by the Mass Department, DEP. Um, and that's going to be a lengthy process, but they will, you know, determine whether uh, that project should be approved. And everyone we've talked to has said it cannot and will not pass uh, the Clean Water Act. It was licensed previously before the Clean Water Act went into effect. It the was licensed. This is the state Clean Water Act or the federal Clean Water Act? The state and federal. Um, both. And so, uh, you know, we're interested in seeing where that goes, what kind of exceptions they will make to that. Well, yeah, because this uh, plant has been in production, has been pumping the water up and, to, and having the uh, water come flowing back down for, for many years. But the Connecticut River is a fragile ecosystem. So perhaps you could tell us a bit more about why this pumping station is so dangerous to life on the river. Well, because for exactly what we've been talking about, that it that it's, it kills the life. It, it it this river used to have a lot more fish. Why doesn't it have more fish in the river? Because it kills the babies. It kills the larvae. It kills them when they're being sucked into this this processor, this food processor. So, um, yes, Priscilla. it also causes extreme erosion. The pulling back and forth causes you know, creates a lot of erosion on the riverbanks. And it's, I think, believe one of the reasons that the um, tribes in the Nolambika project didn't agree to the agreement and principles that were presented to FERC recently. Can you tell us how long the uh, Northfield pumping station has been in existence, how long this has gone on for? It's probably about 50 years. There was It, it was part of the twin evils. The uh, nuclear power plant in Vernon and the uh, Northfield pumping station came together. The, the, uh, the nuclear power plant was supposed to produce the power to run the, uh, the machinery to get the water up, and that, to pump the water up. And that has not happened. And we managed to close that down. And so now we want to cl close down the second of that evil twin because and it's doing no good for the people and ratepayers. We are paying for it, and who benefits? You know, you ask what happens to the river. All life is just just churned up. Everything that gets sucked up dies. But as a systemic matter, not but, and as a systemic matter, this is insane to to burn fossil fuels for the purpose of sending water up a mountain and then having the water come down the mountain to create electricity. So the company can sell that electricity at a higher uh, price than it paid for the fossil fuels in the first place. This is an insane system, and not to mention, of course, environmentally destructive. 
That's what we discovered, and that's why we're holding this rally, and that's why we're appealing to everybody to join us to shut this down. And the relicensing that uh, First Light, the Canadian corporation, is seeking would go on for how long? Another 50 years. 50 years. I think the first license bill was in 1968, and uh, what each of you are talking about, it, it is just so true. What Carl Meyer said when he was on the show here, he said that uh, it's the equivalent of three seven-bedroom houses full of larvae and juvenile fish, and uh, I I forget what else, every second, for hours every day. So he, he came up with some number, I don't know what it was, of hundreds of thousands of living things killed every hour of every day. It's really just staggering. And that FERC rarely, if ever, disallows a license. So what you're trying to do is to defeat FERC's dreadful history of siding with energy companies, fossil fuel companies, at the expense of our planet. Actually, let me just say this about FERC. They've done one good thing recently. They've, they've uh, condemned some dams out west. So, uh, so maybe there is a, a slight change in FERC because there's a new administration, and uh, the Obama administration has put at least one person on. Okay, so this is a protest on Sunday, this coming Sunday, the 23rd, 2 o'clock at Northfield at the pumping station. Tell people a bit more about how to get there, where it is, please. All right, you go over to Route 63, either north or south, and you'll come to the, it's north of Route 2, south of, of New Hampshire, south of the city, the town of, of Northfield. And right off 63, there is Riverside Park. There are signs to Riverside Park. It's the intersection of Ferry Road, which comes off 63, and High Meadow Road. Okay, in case people were not sitting with a, a pen and paper writing right. down the directions, is there a website people can go to to get directions for this protest, which will determine the future of the Connecticut River for the next 55 zero years? ConnecticutRiverDefenders.org. ConnecticutRiverDefenders.org. Okay, and again, the protest is this Sunday, the 23rd, at 2 o'clock in Northfield. What's the website again, Pocky, please? Connecticut River Defenders. Jill Stein is coming to speak, and it's we're happening rain or shine. 2 o'clock this Sunday. Priscilla, you haven't had a chance to tell us the website. Why don't you want to do that, too? <laughs> <laughs> it's at ConnecticutRiverDefenders.org. <laughs> okay, 2 o'clock this Sunday to save our river. Because what this will look, our river might look like in 10 or 20 years if this license is re, re, revived and renewed, it would be, I think, not problematic, but potentially disastrous. The protest this Sunday, the 23rd, 2 o'clock in Northfield. Priscilla Lynch, Pocky Whelan, we are all in your debt. Thank Indeed. you so very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 
There are moments when the beauty in nature arrests us, and we must look or listen very closely. These moments are so fleeting. How do we keep these moments of wonder alive? That's a question the poems in Mary Pfister's new collection wrestle with, but don't fully answer, hence the title, Quick to Bolt. Mary Pfister reads from Quick to Bolt at Broadside Bookshop Wednesday, April 26th at 7 p.m. Quick to Bolt is a delight. Be there as Mary Pfister brings these poems to life. Wednesday, April 26th at the Broadside. Have you ever gone swimming with a polar bear, scuba dived with crocodiles? Amos Nahum has, and his nature photography has made him the BBC's Wildlife Photographer of the Year twice. Now he's coming to Northampton's Academy of Music for an Earth Day show Saturday, April 22nd. He'll share his breathtaking images, the thrilling stories behind the photos, and his message of harmony with the natural world. Visit aomtheater.com to get your tickets today for Amos Nahum, funded in part by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, and visit Hampshire County at Mountain View Farm in East Hampton, we have been growing beautiful, certified organic produce exclusively for our farm share members since we started, and we have been voted best local CSA in the Valley for the last 15 years running. Included in your weekly pickup, you can also enjoy our field of Yupik flowers and herbs all season long, and you can shop in our farm store, which features many wonderful local products. We offer shares for all size households. Sign up at mountainviewfarmcsa.com. Part of what I love about being a therapist in community mental health is really getting to know people who are from really different backgrounds, including serving people who are the most vulnerable. Dan is a therapist at ServiceNet. There's a culture of thinking more deeply about the work we're doing. And for me, when I do that, that feels really good. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. Welcome to NPR, Northampton Poetry Radio, with erstwhile poet laureate, Rich Michelson. Rich, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so excited. Rich Michelson is an award-winning author and poet. I love, I love the blurb on the back of your new book, Sleeping As Fast As I Can, and Rich is here today because we want you to know about the event on Sunday at 4 o'clock at our Michelson Gallery, which we'll hear more about in just a moment. But let me share just a bit of the blurb on the back of Sleeping As Fast As I Can, a new collection of poetry by Rich Michelson. He, the blurb talks about the many collections of poetries of his that have been published and how his children's book as w- children's books as well have been on the top ten list of the New York Times and Publishers Weeklies and the New Yorker, his awards from the National Bo- uh, National Jewish Book Book Award, two Sidney Taylor Gold Medals from the Association of Jewish Libraries, uh, but of course we love the fact that mentioned as well is that Michelson has served as poet laureate of Northampton, Massachusetts, where he hosts a poetry radio program and owns our Michelson Gallery. There we go. Why didn't they, uh, they were supposed to put that first. I, I, not at the end of the blur, but first. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm happy. Usually I'm here with a guest um, pushing their new book of poetry or their reading. So it's nice to be here uh, for my own book, which was uh, released yesterday. And I must say, uh, I, I've read all of your collections. I've read, I think, all of your children's books. I 
think this one is one of your very finest works. Well, you don't like the others. I do. What's, I what's, what's wrong with you? I love the others. I do. Uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you that this is really moving. One moving piece after the next. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, it's been, this is my first full collection since uh, uh, 2015, actually, when I was still Poet Laureate of Northampton uh, and, uh, and started uh, a spot on the Bill Newman show back then before it was talk to talk uh, as as what I decided to do for as poet laureate. We've been doing this for eight years? We've been doing this for more than eight years, wow. actually, um, because I started uh, two years before that. So 10 years ago, I believe. Um, it's our anniversary. It's our happy anniversary, anniversary Rich. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, so, so happy. Do, do you have flowers for me? I'm going to go get flowers for you. <laughs> I'll go, when I go back to the gallery, I'll check. They probably haven't been delivered yet because we weren't open. But uh, I am very excited that I will be uh, celebrating this book Sunday at our Michaels and Galleries. And I'm going to have a couple of guests with me. Including? Including a uh, National Book Award winner. I just, I just won the National Jewish Book Award, but the National Book Award covers everybody. Uh, my dear friend Martina Spada and Paul Mariani who is also published by um, the same publisher as my book, Slant Books. And, uh, and both these gentlemen are beyond being uh, among the premier poets this country has ever produced. Uh, also are my dear friends. Uh, Paul was uh, the first poet who welcomed me to this area in 1979 when I moved in and decided I was going to start a gallery. Uh, my first artist was Barry Mosier, uh, and his best friend was Paul Mariani. Uh, and, um, and Martine um, and I grew up in the same neighborhood. In, yes. Did you know not, that before you guys met here? We did not know that before we met here. We both grew up in East New York um, in Brooklyn. And uh, it was my honor to then later follow him as Poet Laureate of Northampton, uh, where we met and found out, of course, that we used to prowl the same streets. Well, I, I love the Brooklyn connection because as uh, a number of people have said to me uh, when you've read your poetry here on the show, said it's just an amazing thing to know that someone with an accent like Rich Michelson writes those amazing words. Well, and, and, and there's, <laughs> there's, it's, it's not self intuitive to it's not intuitive to people, but it really is a wonder to hear you read, which we're going to ask you to do in a minute. But uh, Martine and I used to say you you had two choices coming from our neighborhood: you either learn to fight or you learn to write. Those were the two <laughs> ways out, and. Uh, and I'm going to read, actually, uh, a poem that uh, – I, I, can I read a poem now? Sure, can I do sure. That? It's still my show, right? I it's, can do what yeah, I want. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I would like to, you to tell our listeners one thing before you do, which is the title, Sleeping as Fast as I Can. Where does that come from? Um, well, there's an old um, Yiddish proverb, sleep faster, we need the pillows. Uh, this <laughs> book uh, is – very concerned with, you know, since my last book, uh, certainly we have seen a great uptick in anti-Semitism in this country. Um, and this book is very concerned with that, uh, as well as gun violence. 
Um, I think some of my people who know my work in general uh, know that my dad was a victim of gun violence. Uh, he in died. East New York. He, yes, he was killed um, and uh, many, many years ago. Uh, in fact, and this is a good segue into the first poem I'll read, um, Martin Espada's father uh, was a photographer. Um, a brilliant photographer. And a brilliant photographer uh, whose work can be seen at R. Michelson Galleries, but, um, uh, but also took a lot of photographs of the old neighborhood. Um, and he actually presented me one um, of block near me. And if you go to my site, which is richardmichelson.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-S-O-N, um, we have one of the poems is read by a local actor, um, Ray Burke, uh, and, um, and we have incorporated images by Martine's father, and you can see that on the site and the poem. And I'm going to read that poem if I can start out because we're talking about the old neighborhood. This book has a lot of uh, poems written in form. Uh, this poem is called Neighborhood Villanelle. And for those who don't know a villanelle, uh, probably the most famous one is Dylan Thomas, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Night, where you repeat the, line, the last lines. You'll, you'll get a sense of it, but there's a repetition that happens. Uh, neighborhood Villanelle. In this neighborhood, you'd better learn to fight, my father says. Real schooling's from hard knocks. Books won't save your life. He knows I'd rather write and read. I don't talk back. His love is no birthright. Instead, I bluff, act tough. He teaches me to box. In this neighborhood, you'd better learn to fight, he says, or you'll be prey. Better tough Israelite than studious black hat, defenseless orthodox. Books won't save your life. I know you'd rather write. Next day was Hanukkah the festival of lights. Hey, Jew boy, some kids jeered as if I wore earlocks. I was no Maccabee, bluff called. I could not fight. I came to, battered, bruised, but had no appetite for bloodshed or revenge. Instead, I walked for blocks, prayed books would save my life. I swore someday I'd write these lines, and now I have. We never kissed goodnight, yet every poem I wrote, he saved. The paradox? A bullet stopped his life. Lead plug, he could not fight. I escaped the neighborhood with every word I write. It's hmm. Rich Michelson reading from his new collection, Sleeping As Fast As I Can. There will be a... Uh, Book launch, poetry reading, Rich and Paul Marinari and Martina Spada this Sunday, 4 o'clock at our Michelson Gallery. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I really want Rich to share with you a couple more of these poems, particularly, I hope you'll share with us one called Life Sentence. We'll be right back. Was in the spring, and spring became the summer. 
This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMB News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton School Committee avoided layoffs this week thanks to an additional $1.2 million in emergency funding from the city. Before the influx of emergency funds, the school district's $37 million budget was facing a $2.3 million deficit and job cuts to various positions across schools. The city also used pandemic relief funding to fill gaps and will rely on staff leaving or retiring then not filling those positions instead of layoffs to balance the books. A 28-year-old Deerfield woman faces multiple charges in the stabbing incident of an 82-year-old man in Montague on Saturday. Katie Flanagan was released on a $10,000 surety after pleading not guilty to assault and battery with a dangerous weapon and assault and battery with serious injury on a disabled person 60 or older. According to police reports, Flanagan was working as a personal care attendant for the victim's spouse when she reportedly stabbed him. Flanagan told police the alleged victim had been making sexual advances to her. Barnes & Noble employees at Mountain Farms Mall in Hadley want to start a union. The workers say they're underpaid and disrespected and believe they need representation to improve the work environment and negotiate better work conditions. According to the Gazette, a majority of signatures were collected from the 18 workers, allowing them to file for an election with the National Labor Relations Board. If successful, Hadley would become the first Barnes & Noble of unionized workers in the 785-store chain. Sun cloud combination today, a little breezy with west winds at 10 to 20 miles per hour, a high of 52 to 56. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures upper 40s, low 50s, and overnight low of 30 to 36. Warmer tomorrow, sunshine 66 to 70, and we could hit 80 on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El presidente de la Cámara de Representantes, Kevin McCarthy, se comprometió el lunes a aprobar una legislación para aumentar el techo de la deuda de la nación, pero solo con la condición de limitar los futuros aumentos del gasto federal al 1%, mientras criticaba al presidente Joe Biden por negarse a participar en negociaciones de recorte presupuestario para evitar una crisis de deuda. En un discurso de alto perfil en la Bolsa de Valores de Nueva York, McCarthy, el líder republicano que cumplía 100 días como vocero de la Cámara, dijo que la carga de la deuda de la nación es una bomba de relojería y que Biden está desaparecido mientras se acerca la fecha límite para elevar el límite de endeudamiento. Pero la propia capacidad de McCarthy para llevar a cabo su plan como se prometió es muy incierta. La aprobación de la Cámara podría servir como una tarjeta de presentación para presionar a Biden a negociar. Dado que el presidente sigue ocultándose, los republicanos de la Cámara tomarán medidas, prometió McCarthy. En otras informaciones, y sin citar una razón, el juez de Delaware que supervisa la demanda por difamación de 1.6 mil millones de dólares de una compañía de máquinas de votación contra Fox News, anunció el domingo por la noche que retrasaría el inicio del juicio hasta el martes. El juicio que ha atraído el interés internacional estaba programado para comenzar el lunes por la mañana con la selección del jurado y declaraciones de apertura. El caso se centra en si Fox difamó a Dominion Voting Systems al difundir afirmaciones falsas de que la compañía manipuló las elecciones presidenciales de 2020 para evitar la reelección del expresidente Donald Trump. Los registros producidos como parte de la demanda muestran que muchos de los anfitriones y ejecutivos de Fox no creyeron las acusaciones, pero las ventilaron de todos modos. 
Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We continue our conversation with Rich Michelson. His new collection is titled Sleeping as Fast as I Can, the book launch and reading along with uh, Paul Marinari. 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 Thank you. And Martina Spada will be 4 o'clock this Sunday at R. Michelson Gallery in downtown Northampton on Main Street. Rich, the poems are just so wonderful, so moving, and so accessible. I wonder if you could share with us a couple more. Sure. And uh, if I can also, Sweden, I do hope that everybody will join us Sunday. If you can't, because you're up saving the river um, and can't get back down in time, which is a notable uh, thing to spend your time as well. Uh, I will say that if you go to my site, um, there's a link, and I will be reading via Zoom tonight with my publisher who's in Seattle. Uh, so at 8 p.m. I will be um, reading online uh, for a little bit, and you can hear some more poems. And people can access that by going to your yeah, website? Yeah, I don't remember what the link is, but you have to register. But if you go to richardmichelson.com, again, that's M-I-C-H-E-L-S-O-N, um, there's, you'll see a link to be able to access that tonight. Let's hear, um, so, let's hear another couple of poems, um, please. So uh, during this um, writing of this book, uh, my mother um, developed dementia and eventually died. Um, while a lot of this book is politically based and about what's going on in the world, uh, while I saw the world declining, my mother was also declining, um, I kind of uh, saved my own sanity by writing about what was going on around me. Um, and uh, let's, uh, I'm going to read a couple of poems about my mom uh, and dedicate this uh, to her, this reading. Um, the first one I'm giving since her passing. Um, but uh, this is a poem called Life Sentence, and um, I think it speaks for itself. It's like speed dating at a mortician's convention, my mother explains. The first sentence must awe, wow, or shock, entertain, or risk a reader's waning attention before truth's modest list of achievements. It's only now I understand that the creative writing seminar I insisted she join at the assisted living facility, elevated to heaven, has cast her as entrepreneur and God as venture capitalist, 60 seconds to make her eternal pitch, as though even the afterlife can't improve upon our uninspired dreams of everlasting success. Enough plot or too literary, she asks, reading from her initial draft, which seems a peculiar question while composing one's obituary. But for now, she's alert and focused as she revises text, laboring her life into art, undeterred by what comes next. It's so beautiful, Rich. So, so powerful. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny how um, my mom lost her mind, but um, she could still uh, play a mean, mean game of Scrabble right until the end. She could no longer remember what the words meant, but mm. she could always put them together. 
so she would beat me even in the nursing home towards the end days. Um, and uh, I tried to enforce a rule where you had to define the word you were putting down just to kind of save myself here because uh, she lost that, but she did not lose her ability to make words. Um, so let's see. Uh, another poem, too. What do you want? Well, I would like to hear. I would like to hear some more of this. It's so remarkable. Let's let's do Sweet Caroline. Okay. So um, Sweet Caroline, might you know? It's um, I'm sure other people have had this happen. Uh, if parents who surrendered to dementia, um, my mom was a very different person at the end. Um, in many ways, she was a happier person. Uh, she was not the same person. She had lost her edge. She had lost her mind, her intelligence. Um, but uh, she also had a difficult life. And um, and this poem, Sweet Caroline, uh, talks about my seeing her at the very end um, in the nursing home uh, and uh, the memory care unit. Sweet Caroline. From this distance, you could be shooing flies. But as I exit independent living to enter the memory care unit, I can see, performing his nailed diamond dipshake swivel, the resident accordionist. According to Wiesenthal, evil flourishes when the good do nothing, and the evidence is everywhere. Yet from here, watching you dance to the wheeze and bellow, a choir of cafeteria aides praising your name with every chorus. I think of the arrays of the brain, our synapses endlessly reinventing us. Dementia is lessened by music therapy, the director mentions, which has the potential to ameliorate your mother's depression. And so I watch as you sway and clap. Your expression, unrecognizable, is dare I say the word, sweet. Oh, Caroline, you who prized vinegar above honey, resigned to life's bitter truths, a husband's murder, an indifferent God, now finally sing. Good times never seemed so good. <laughs> Rich, I, wa I want you, before you go, I want you to share my dying is not tragic, if you would. Could okay. you do that? It's the next poem. I know. I didn't print this one out in large type, so let me see if I can actually read from the book. My dying is not tragic, my mother says. So save your petitions and poems. If any god is listening to her recitation of fanatical faith in the existence of no god, I entreat them to not misinterpret acquiescence as contentment. I will not, she mocks, resurrect in a graveyard nor haunt your waking dreams. Every second, she explains, more than 100 humans die. 600 since I said this last sentence. There will never be justice for those murdered children or their parents forever suffering unspeakable pain. I'm in her hospital room, the TV blaring another school shooting, officials offering thoughts and prayers. My dying is not tragic, my mother repeats. 
adding, as if awed by nature's mathematics. My heart beat its wing four billion times. She's computing pulses per minute times years. Outside her window, a hummingbird hovers. Miraculous, she whispers, as if sanctifying that word. Rich Michelson, reading from his new collection, Sleeping as Fast as I Can, the book launch reading with other very distinguished and brilliant poets will be 4 o'clock this Sunday at R. Michelson Gallery here in Northampton. Rich Michelson, congratulations. This is a brilliant, brilliant book. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. Hands, touching hands, reaching out, touching me, touching you. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The Hug Plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Frances Ray, I'm the Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at hugyourmoney.com. Someone drops a cell phone down a grate. You've got string, paper clips, tape, and a magnet. Will you be able to retrieve the phone? You're at summer camp at the Bement School in Deerfield. There are theme weeks like Broadway, fairy houses, flag football, studio arts, STEM challenges, and science exploration. There's basketball week, wizarding week, dance camp, and digital storytelling. Bement Summer Camp, themed weeks all summer or good old-fashioned day camp weeks with no theme at all, just swimming, games, and arts and crafts. Plus, outdoor adventure camps with our partner Adventure East, in case you like paddling canoes or climbing rocks. Summer camp at the Bement School in Deerfield. It's all on the Bement website. Bement is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. We learn from each other in the classroom, cheer for each other on the field, and celebrate each other on the stage. And we don't stop in the summer. Sign up for summer camp at bement.org. We welcome back to our studio Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, Florence-based Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, Larry Hott, who has a new film that will be shown on PBS in the fall, I believe. October 24th. 
But first, we'll be shown here as a premiere in Northampton on... On May 20th, we're going to have a sneak preview at the Center for the Arts at two screenings, 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. And some of the participants from the film will be there. And it is a fundraiser for the Center for the Arts, but it's free. So you can just make whatever donation you want. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the film as soon as you ask me a pertinent question. <laughs> no, well, Ari, you've been here enough. I think you can do both be the interviewer and the interviewee. Why don't you just press on here? <laughs> okay, you have a new film, which I want our listeners to know I, I have seen. It is, in fact, brilliant. Thank you, Bill. Really, it's, it's, uh, it, it tells a story I didn't know didn't know well. I didn't know the story either. Uh, well, let's hear it. The, the story is the Niagara Movement, and it is about the early battle for civil rights. Uh, the original title, which was too long for PBS, was the battle for the soul of the civil rights movement at the turn of the last century. But they said, nobody will get that far, so <laughs> shorten it. And it is about three people. But that is, in <laughs> fact, what the film is about. It is about the battle for the soul of the civil rights movement. It is an inflection point. Uh, the period we're talking about is 1895 to 1905, 1909. And there is a battle royale between the famous W.E.B. Du Bois, who is from Great Barrington, Massachusetts, went to school at Harvard, a real Massachusetts person. Uh, and he had an associate, William Trotter, William Monroe Trotter, who was at Boston, also one of the few black men to go to Harvard at the time in the late 19th century. And they had this fight against Booker T. Washington, who was the wizard of Tuskegee down in Alabama. And this battle really set up the difference between two different approaches to civil rights in America. And we are still fighting out this battle, although W.B. Du Bois and Monroe Trotter, the more radical people, they actually won. And you see evidence of who they are in Black Voters Matter, Black Lives Matter, in uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, all the civil rights history from the 60s could trace itself right back to the Niagara Movement. The battle for the soul of the civil rights movement between Booker T. Washington and W.E. Du Bois plays a significant, a central part in this film. Tell us, if you would, please, for those of our listeners who either don't know or don't remember, what the essence the of essence the fight well, it's important to, uh, to know who Booker T. Washington yes, was please. to understand the fight. Uh, he was a former slave, and he was appointed to be the head of this new Tuskegee Institute in Alabama as a black man in the 1870s. Why? Because there was still a vote available to blacks in Alabama at the time, and the Democratic Party wanted to attract black voters. So they allowed him to be appointed as the head of this school. He was the smartest guy coming out of Hampton Institute at the time. And he was a black man in the Deep South where lynchings were rampant. And he somehow managed to pull together the money. He got Carnegie to give him the equivalent of millions of dollars personally and for the school. And he built up this institution that was educating mostly black men in the trades. That's really important. Not educating them in the humanities, not educating them to be professors, but educating them to be plumbers and, and carpenters and farmers. And in 1895, he makes a speech at the Atlanta Convention where it's, it's, it's called the Great uh, Compromise, where he says, American blacks should not protest, should not ask for civil rights, should not ask for the vote. They should be humble, they should work hard and learn a trade, and eventually they will get their rights. And up in the north, where things are safer, 
mostly out of Boston. There's W.E. Du Bois and his friend Monroe Trotter, and they're saying, uh-uh, this isn't going to stand, not when people are being lynched every day in the hundreds by month, the thousands a year. Uh, and this is one of the essences of the film. Visually, very tough to look at. In fact, there is a trigger warning at the head of the film that PBS put in. Uh, the number of lynchings going on at the time is it's just a frightening amount. And you know there's a famous photograph from the 20s, as much later, that says a man was lynched today, but this was going on much earlier. So this fight began between these two factions of the black community over the direction of the civil rights movement. And W.E. Du Bois and Monroe Trotter decide they're going to have a meeting in the Buffalo area, which was the up-and-coming city, the eighth largest city in the country, best transportation uh, network, cheapest rates for hotels. And it was near Niagara Falls. And Niagara Falls is a symbol of what? Of, of power in America, all kinds of power. It was a symbol of the sublime. Actually, I've done four films on Niagara Falls. So when I was asked to do this film and it had Niagara movement on it, I said, oh no, not the word Niagara. It's in my computer too many times. Um, but they said, okay, Niagara, this is a good place. In fact, there's a famous photograph of the founders of the Niagara movement sitting in front of a backdrop of Niagara Falls. But it was a, they called it a mighty current of protest. But Booker T. Washington didn't like this at all because it was challenged to his authority. And he actually spent, sent spies to this meeting. Can you believe it? And he was, they were all spying on each other. I think if we hear a clip from the opening of this film, you'll get a sense of how intense this battle was and what was going on at the time. The early 20th century was a time of racial violence, and terror. Black communities being burned down. Black people being shot in the streets. Women, children. We can no longer tolerate this. And it is that kind of, of resistance and, and, and anger that gives rise to the Niagara Movement. July 1905, 29 African-American men travel to Niagara Falls. They were creating an organization to fight racism. These folks who are coming in on that stream to change America and to change the world. From the Old Testament, let justice roll down like cascades of water and righteousness like a mighty stream. The story of the Niagara Movement is the story of three African-American leaders with very different political philosophies. Two of the three were the heart and soul of the movement, W.E.B. Du Bois, and William Monroe Trotter. W.B. Du Bois is the most important African-American intellectual and civil rights activist in American history. William Monroe Trotter was the most fiery, passionate, and uncompromising fighter for African-American civil rights in the early 20th century. Du Bois and Trotter wanted to confront racial injustice head on. But the most powerful African-American in the country preached accommodation, not confrontation. Booker T. Washington becomes Black America's president. From about 1895 or so, he is it. He's the, the strong man. He's the head man. He's the boss. He tells white people, we don't need to be equal to you socially. The Niagara Movement is the notion that 
we are breaking away from Booker T. Washington's politics. You cannot talk about the struggle for civil rights in American history without acknowledging the Niagara Movement. You cannot talk about the history of civil rights without acknowledging the Niagara Movement. For me, it was a bit of, of a surprise um, not knowing much about this, I had done a lot of work in Buffalo, and I knew, I knew what, it, what the phrase Niagara Movement was, but I had no idea how important it was. And one of the tricks for us in making this film is how to make it relevant today. And interestingly for me, I just, I looked out in a lot of ways on this film. Not only uh, do I live in Massachusetts, and uh, where the... Where W.E.G. Du Bois is celebrated, and of course he's celebrated at UMass, and the library There's is named after Bois him, Center. And, and the Du Bois Center right. is there. And, is, and, and the director, uh, it, who is Whitney Battle Baptiste, um, is in the film. I mean, he was somebody I could call up as a neighbor and, and go meet with. As is another very familiar voice for listeners of this show. Amalcar Shabazz. Amalcar Shabazz. Who uh, is a wonderful voice. You heard the voice there. In, in the film, uh, there are... Prof professor and one of the founders of Afro-Am uh, Right, and, and other members of the Afro-Am faculty who have moved on uh, are also in, in the film. Um, we filmed all over the United States to get the people who understood this story the best. But interestingly, there's not really one book about the Niagara Movement. There's, there's a, a couple of treatises, there's a monograph. Uh, one of the authors uh, of that, Angela Jones, a woman, is coming up here for the event on May 20th and will speak at, at the screening. And uh, Whitney Battle, that piece will be there. I hope Amakar Shabazz will be there. And we're going to have the other participants in the film on, uh, uh, via Zoom. Uh, Larry Hatt, you just said that it's still, that, that battle is still waging today. Could, could you? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, I do a lot of work with the Movement Voter Project, and they support grassroots organizations around the country. And one that they support is Black Voters Matter out of Atlanta. So I'm very familiar with them. I've written about them. And I thought, I'm going to use my in here. <laughs> I'm going to call them up and find out what they have to say if they know about the Niagara Movement. I couldn't believe what they had to tell me. The founders, as April Albright, Cliff Albright, and Latasha Brown, who are very well known in the civil rights community now, they lecture on this. They teach about the Niagara Movement. They were completely conversant with this subject. So important because what it was, was, I, correct me if I'm wrong, the first black power movement in the United States. It was an organization of African-American descendants who came together to demand rights. As okay, so it's really important to understand that there were many black organizations, male and female at the time, but they were working regionally. Nobody else had pulled it together on a national level. And they decided, now this, it sounds at first not that exciting, that they were gonna use the courts but other people have been not doing it, had not been doing it successfully. And one of the things we feature in the film is what's called the Barbara Pope case, which is one of the first Rosa Parks cases. You know, when you hear about Rosa Parks, you frequently don't know that there were many other Rosa Parks. In fact, Plessy and Plessy versus Ferguson, the, the, the famous case that affirmed separate but equal, that was a Rosa Parks case. P Plessy decided, in, in conjunction with civil rights organizations, to see what would happen if he sat on the back of a train. But in this film... And it was a case that was actually orchestrated because they believed they were going to win. Right, right. And, and they lost. And they lost. But the Bar Barbara Pope, 
who was not in a case that was not orchestrated. She was just a woman from Washington, D.C., a school teacher, who decided not to get up and move to the back of the train when the train entered Virginia. She just said, I'm not going to do it. And she got arrested. Nobody had planned it for her. And she joins the Niagara Movement, which was a big deal at the time because there were no women. Women were not allowed in the movement. This guy, Monroe Trotter, opposed women being in the movement. So here we have two things ongoing. One is women's ascendance to power within the movement. And second, Monroe Trotter making a big deal about women being in the movement. And he ends up having a terrible fight with W.E.B. Du Bois and basically getting thrown out of the movement. So this internecine battle is going on in the Niagara movement. What is the direction? Are women going to be allowed? Uh, uh, the personality conflicts, fantastic sex stories. And in the film, of course, you can only tell so much of this. But the, the Niagara movement becomes the NAACP. This is the most important thing about it. It morphs, as somebody says in the film, Chad Williams, a wonderful interview from Brandeis University. Um, he says that it morphs into the NAACP. The NAACP would not be what it was had it not been for the Niagara Movement. This is a must-see film. Thank you. It's May 20th, Saturday, May 20th, 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. at the Center for the Arts. It's free, but a donation would be accepted, of course, at the door. And we will be speaking more with Larry, but he's going to be off for a couple of weeks, so we are going to miss cool films with Larry Hott, but we will be talking about this in the days before the premiere. Larry Hott, congratulations. Thanks so very thanks, much. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, Buzz. Thanks, Dan. From the poplar trees When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Hearing the verdict and hearing the words racial animus were extremely painful for, certainly for myself and for the women and men of the Greenfield Police Department who really do go to work every day to serve the people of Greenfield. 1015-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at NorthamptonNeighbors.org or call us WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez, the white homeowner in Missouri who shot a black teenager in the head when he mistakenly walked up to his house, is set to be arraigned on assault charges today. Correspondent Adriana Diaz reports from Kansas City. According to the criminal complaint, Lester told police that he was, quote, scared to death. He says he thought someone was trying to break in and says he saw a black male approximately six feet tall trying to open the storm door. Ralph told police he didn't try to open the door. Ralph's aunt told us he is 5'8". 
and 140 pounds. Lawmakers in one southern state are doing more to protect the gun industry. CBS's Jim Crisula. Republican lawmakers in Tennessee have approved a proposal that further protects gun and ammunition dealers, manufacturers and sellers against lawsuits. The move comes just three weeks after a Nashville school shooting killed six people, including three nine-year-olds. A Democratic state senator calls the GOP action, quote, disrespectful timing. The Supreme Court is on deadline. It has until midnight to decide whether a federal judge in Texas had the legal right to suspend use of the abortion pill Mifepristone. Correspondent Jan Crawford. This case is an effort by a conservative legal group in Texas to restrict access to abortion nationwide, even in states that would otherwise allow it. They're trying to outlaw that abortion pill, saying that the FDA didn't properly approve it more than 20 years ago. With additional lawsuits pending, our legal analyst Ricky Kleeman says it's just the beginning for Dominion Voting Systems, which has reached a $787 million agreement with Fox News. Smartmatic $2.7 billion lawsuit, not only against Fox News, against other news people and individuals. They have a blueprint now. They just have to follow the roadmap. The L.A. school district has reached a tentative agreement with the teachers union that would raise average teacher salaries to $106,000. School board president Jackie Goldberg tells our affiliate KNX. This is a good contract. It also reduces class size over time by two students. It also provides more pay for nurses so we can finally get some. A high school math teacher in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rebecca Peterson, has been named this year's Teacher of the Year. This former student congratulated her on CBS Mornings. Miss Peterson recognized a love for teaching that I had, but that I didn't recognize. And she sent an email to my mom unprompted, which was so sweet that my mom was like crying over it. And she kind of guided me and encouraged me to start teaching myself and showed me the ways that she teaches and gave me advice on how to have compassion for my students. And that has changed my life. This is CBS News. Streamline how you hire with Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in the same place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Finding great people to hire is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. It's pretty difficult, right? Well, ZipRecruiter has mastered finding a needle in a haystack, so they take it to the next level. They make hiring so simple that it's like finding a needle in a needle stack. And that's why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash free. Here's what it's like to use ZipRecruiter. They have so many qualified candidates that it's easier to find the right ones for your roles. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. That's a lot of needles. So how do they do it? ZipRecruiter's powerful technology sends you candidates who are a great match for your job, and you can even invite your top choices to apply. So if you want less hay and more needles, head to ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free at ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash F-R-E-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter, the smart. For WHMB News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton School Committee avoided layoffs this week thanks to an additional $1.2 million in emergency funding from the city. Before the influx of emergency funds, the school district's $37 million budget was facing a $2.3 million deficit and job cuts to various positions across schools. The city also used pandemic relief funding to fill gaps and will rely on staff leaving or retiring then not filling those positions instead of layoffs to balance the books. 
A 28-year-old Deerfield woman faces multiple charges in the stabbing incident of an 82-year-old man in Montague on Saturday. Katie Flanagan was released on a $10,000 surety after pleading not guilty to assault and battery with a dangerous weapon and assault and battery with serious injury on a disabled person 60 or older. According to police reports, Flanagan was working as a personal care attendant for the victim's spouse when she reportedly stabbed him. Flanagan told police the alleged victim had been making sexual advances to her. Barnes & Noble employees at Mountain Farms Mall in Hadley want to start a union. The workers say they're underpaid and disrespected and believe they need representation to improve the work environment and negotiate better work conditions. According to the Gazette, a majority of signatures were collected from the 18 workers, allowing them to file for an election with the National Labor Relations Board. If successful, Hadley would become the first Barnes & Noble of unionized workers in the 785-store chain. Sun cloud combination today, a little breezy with west winds at 10 to 20 miles per hour, a high of 52 to 56. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures upper 40s, low 50s, and overnight low of 30 to 36. Warmer tomorrow, sunshine 66 to 70, and we could hit 80 on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to our program. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And uh, Bill, I am really excited about this segment that we have right now. And it's sort of uh, a, a quite a personal um, sort of fountain of excitement that that, uh, that excitement springs from, which is uh, the program called Social Thought and Political Economy at the University of Massachusetts um, that was born 50 years ago. We'll be celebrating its 50th anniversary uh, this weekend. Um, and I, uh, the reason I say it's personal, I was in the first graduating class of that program way back in the 70s, and um, it... Uh, taught me to fall in love with theory and with political theory, and we will talk about why. With us in the studio, uh, we are thrilled to have the director of the Social Thought Political Economy, STEPIC, we call it, program Wang Fan. We also have two students on the executive committee of STEPIC. Uh, it's Gabrielle Futterman and Ava Hawks, and I want to start with you, Wang. So, um, 50th anniversary... What can you tell us about, uh, Bill and I, we were talking to you before we came on the air about how and why the program began in the early 70s. Can you explain that? Oh, uh, absolutely. Always excited to talk about STEPIC. The Social Thought and Political Economy program was created in 1972, as uh, Buzz mentioned, amidst an array of, of social movements working for progressive uh, transformation transformation of the world, and really coming out of the uh, women's uh, rights movements, the civil rights movement, the, the broader anti-war movement, uh, movements against imperialism, movements for equality. Uh, and so social transformation, really co uh, the long march of these social movements into the academy, engaging with the students, and really even the composition of the faculty uh, in direct engagement with the stu student body, as you, as you mentioned. So. 
Um, so but, here, here's a, yeah. on the heels of the 60s, yeah. the anti-war movement, yeah. uh, the, the uh, feminist movement, yeah. the gay movement, etc. Here's an interdisciplinary program that was born out of the creativity. I think it began with Robert Paul Wolf, who will be there this weekend. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, it, it was a place for people like me who wanted to learn more about social change and um, how to understand the world that we saw that was so unfair to so many. Um, it was a place for us to find ourselves and find ourselves through intellectual pursuit and uh, in a community of learners. And that's really what STEPIC was for me. Is it still? Uh, I, I think very much so in terms of uh, the participation of student executive committee, uh, you know, our always evolving curriculum. Part of uh, the programming of SEPIC every year, I'm always speaking, I'm, I go to these student executive meetings, uh, student executive committee meetings, and they're talking about, well, what are they organizing around right now? And just as 50 years ago, they were organizing around the anti-war movement and the feminist movement. He, still today, we brought in the fall Jenny Brown to talk about birth strike and the hidden work of reproductive uh, labor uh, based on the Dobbs decision, well, 50 years ago was the Roe v. Uh, v. Wade decision. So we talk about the ways in which, yes, um, things have changed, but so much more to do. And so the students today in the student executive committee working with me, discussing what they're organizing around. So I, I invite speakers like yourself, like um, speakers on prison abolition, speakers on the... Um, uh, Palestine Solidarity, speakers on organizing around class and the teacher strike wave, all things that students themselves are organizing around. And um, the faculty, we want to listen to the students and hear what they're interested in because Stepik's motto, as you know, is understand the world and change it. Well, let's talk to one of these members of the uh, executive committee. Uh, Ava Hawks, uh, what brought you to Stepik? Uh, and again, it's social thought and political economy. What brought you to that program? Well, I was an art history major <laughs> for a semester. Um, and that was on the very tail end of the uh, summer of 2020 when there were, uh, you know, just this huge movement for racial justice, you know, anti-police brutality protests. And of course, I think it's kind of, you know, people kind of understood that the problem, you know, a lot of the things that people were protesting about and the problem that problems that people were concerned with, people who went out to those protests was not just um, racial injustice. It was COVID austerity. It was the COVID death, you know, death rate. It was um, all of these social, economic, political issues that had kind of coalesced around this initial, um, you know, kind of spark of protest. And uh, I participated in the summer of 2020. I was pretty active as just somebody who was going to protests and um, keeping up with sort of the updates around what was going on around the country in different major cities. And um, and then I went into an art history major. <laughs> and I found it very uh, unsatisfying and unfulfilling. Um, and Stepic was something that I had looked at over the summer. It was something that I had sort of been interested in um, my mom also sort of pushed me to do it, weirdly enough. She oh, was way to go, mom. Yeah. She was like, I think you would be more much more fulfilled studying this than you would be studying art history. Um, and she was really right. Um, she was very correct about that. And uh, you know, I did one semester of art history before I was like, I'm done. I need to study something that 
is relevant, is stimulating to my mind, that um, you know, gives me a, you know, changes my perspective on the world and allows me to engage with it in a new way. Um, Did it change your pers- perspective on the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know, Stepic is a very interdisciplinary program, but I think that sometimes what interdisciplinary programs don't tell you is that um, a lot of the work that you, a lot of the studying that you do is very self-directed. Um, so uh, you kind of explore, the exploring is yours to do. Uh, you're kind of, you know, left to do that on your own. And whatever you kind of find throughout your academic path, um, whether you study it in class or not, is what you're uh, bringing into Stepic. And Stepic has sort of, you know, through my own sort of intellectual and political journey, Stepic has been very um, responsive to that. So it's not just, you know, it's not just Stepic that has given me a new perspective, but allowing myself to bring new perspectives to Stepic that the Stepic program can then help me build on and practice. Well, uh, and how about you, Gabrielle Futterman? Uh, this interdisciplinary n- nature of, I mean, I remember I took courses in the philosophy department and the economics department and the political science department. And, um, and frankly, by way of admission, uh, my first go around in Philadelphia, I wasn't much of a student. Mm-hmm. I learned how to study because of um, uh, the community of learners that I was surrounded with in the social thought and political economy program. It taught me how to really, how to read, how to understand, and how to question. Uh, how do you handle that? I mean, it's arduous. It's intellectually challenging. Uh, how do a lot you wrap, of reading. A lot of reading. How do you wrap your arms <laughs> around it, and why do you like that? Mm. Yeah, well, I, I'll start with a, a, a bit about how I got to Stepic too. Um, similar to Ava, studied music in Chicago, dropped out, traveled a lot. I think had a advancing political consciousness and realized that, you know, th- there's no point in uh, there's no point in studying something just to get some job somewhere and get funneled into that system. So this is really like uh, quickly approaching like why, you know, why are we here? What can we do? And uh, in terms of why, uh, um, how, how do we change the world, you can't just look at that through one lens. Um, if you get bogged down in just studying economics, you're going to take so many things for granted. Um, if you bo- get bogged down in just studying philosophy, <laughs> as I'm known to do, you lose sight of real material things in front of your face. Um, so yeah, I think studying a bit in, in sociology, political science, uh, a bit in economics, a bit in philosophy, it's like uh, I, I akin it to the PPE programs that they have a lot in, uh, in England and other places in Europe, philosophy, politics, economics. We don't really do that in the U.S. This is, I think, pretty close. I'd like to ask any one of you a question. I understand STEPIC as an interdisciplinary program. What, what might be helpful for some of our listeners to understand is, is STEPIC it's like a department? Is it like anthropology or sociology mm-hmm. or economics? Mm-hmm. Do you get a degree in I guess what the degree is. So if someone could take a minute and explain that to our listeners, I think that'd be helpful. Absolutely. Uh, it's an independent undergraduate major. So we aren't housed in a department, say, like political science. There's a legal studies program uh, at the U.S. that's housed in, in, uh, in political science. Um, um, and for a while, the labor uh, studies program was housed in sociology. But uh, STEPIC is, an, is its own independent uh, major, interdisciplinary major. We do not have a graduate program, but we are uh, considered an, an independent academic unit like a department. So we decide our curriculum, we decide our faculty, and um, we certainly 
And is STEPIC the equivalent of a major? Yeah. It is an independent major, and you receive a, degree, uh, a, a Bachelor of Science in the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. Yes. Yes, and I, I don't know where it is, but I have a diploma that says exactly <laughs> that. Yes. That uh, I got my degree in social thought and political economy. And so, Ava, do you have an idea of what you'd like to do when you graduate from the social thought and political economy program? Um, well, I am a double major in social thought and political economy and economics. Um, and labor economics is something that is studied pretty extensively at UMass. Um, we have the Political Economy Research Institute, which, um, you know, they do in, they do research and work in a number of different fields and questions that are all, you know, very uh, pertinent to problems of the world today. Um, I come from a union family, so I think um, in my future, I would like, I mean, I'm not really sure what I want to do, if I'm being completely honest, but... You don't have to be. Um, I would like to do something in, you know, labor organizing, labor law, um, you know, labor economics, just kind of in that in that field of fighting for workers' rights and being, being in that sphere. Um, of course, that involves a lot of digging your heels in. That involves a lot of, you know, getting connected to the people and, you know, getting connected to workers, which uh, is not something that you really get to do as a college student very often. Um, so I think that that path is something that is kind of longer term for me, but um, something that STEPIC has certainly, certainly, STEPIC and economics has certainly helped uh, inform. How about you, Gabrielle Futterman? Do you know what what's uh, in the future for you? To change the world, you need to know the world. And I'm going to continue traveling after graduation in a few uh, few weeks, almost and count the weeks, a month or so. Um, right now, I'm looking at this, this autonomous school for social movements uh, based in, in Mexico and Cuba. And there's one program where you live with uh, the Zapatistas in Chiapas. I'm looking at that as in the last couple of weeks. haven't really let the word out on that yet, but... That wasn't the answer I thought I was going to get, but it's pretty <laughs> well, exciting. Well, as I said, like, I I mean, in terms of, I think our generation, um, not to do a generational divide <laughs> thing here, but I think there is a lot more, um, what's the word, angst, pressure, yes. in terms of we're all seeing that all for climate angsty. change, for, for climate catastrophe, uh, just for an example, there's not going to be a normal future. There's not going to be a stable future. So why prepare for that? That's my thought. Like, why would I go out and get a normal job when, you know, things are hitting the fan, so to speak? So, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, I can't speak for most STEPIC students, but I'm trying to take a different path. Well, I also think that a lot of STEPIC students want to, like, they, they recognize that, like, the future is not going to be normal, right? Uh, and there's going to be a lot of people who are affected by that. Um, and sort of, you know, there's, you know, there's this desire to, you know, there's, I feel like, not, what am I trying to say? You know, there's people that, you know, like Gabriel want to like go out and see the world and travel and do all that sort of thing. And then there's an equally, you know, an equally, you know, radical perspective and an equally useful perspective of people that kind of want to um, not stay behind, but they want to kind of grow roots and uh, grow roots and movements that are kind of local, um, grow roots and movements uh, with people that, you know, um, people that they've known for a very long time, you know, pe you know, places that they know, people that they know. Um, but I think that, kind of the importance of STEPIC is that you can come out of the pro, you know, go into the program and come out of the program with uh, these equivalent, you know, these these two different but kind of equivalent perspectives of like, I need to change the world somehow. The world is changing. It's probably it's not changing, you know, as of right now, it's not changing for the better. And I want to make that, I want to change that. Um, so, 
you know, we settle on a number, you know, different topic students will settle on a number of different ways that they want to achieve that personally. Well, this is such an important, it's such an important work that you're doing, that you plan to do, that the program has been doing for half a century now. And we want to talk about this 50th anniversary, what's going to happen over the weekend. Social thought and political economy. We're going to continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. We finally entered into a more balanced real estate market. Hi, I'm Craig Delapena, a part of the Trailside team at the Murphy's Realtors. I've been helping buyers and sellers in our valley and beyond for close to 20 years. I specialize in homes near rail trails, as well as antique or historic homes. Together, we'll create a plan that gets you to the next chapter and will minimize your stress along the way. Visit NorthamptonRealtor.com innovator. In the morning, you look through a microscope at things you collected the day before. You're at summer camp at the Bement School in Deerfield. There are theme weeks like Broadway, fairy houses, flag football, studio arts, STEM challenges, and science exploration. There's basketball week, wizarding week, dance camp, and digital storytelling. Bement Summer Camp, themed weeks all summer. Or good old-fashioned day camp weeks with no theme at all, just swimming, games, and arts and crafts. Plus, outdoor adventure camps with our partner Adventure East, in case you like paddling canoes or climbing rocks. Summer camp at the Bement School in Deerfield. It's all on the Bement website. Bement is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. We learn from each other in the classroom, cheer for each other on the field, and celebrate each other on the stage. And we don't stop in the summer. Sign up for summer camp at bement.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back discussing the um, major uh, social thought and political economy at the University of Massachusetts, um, which is enjoying its half-century anniversary this weekend, and uh, we are here. Let's uh, go back to Director Wang Fan. Wang, uh, tell us about what's going to be happening in this celebration and what people can um, participate in and uh, enjoy uh, over the next coming days. Oh, absolutely. We have such a full schedule. Really, we're kicking it off on Thursday at, at 5 o'clock. Uh, we're hosting the internationally renowned uh, scholar, teacher, feminist activist, Silvia Federici, a professor emerita and teaching fellow at Hofstra University. Um, her best-known work is Caliban and the Witch, Women, the Body, and Primitive Accumulation, regularly assigned in our 
courses and a radical feminist perspective on capitalism and the rise of capitalism and the uh, exploitation and oppression of women. And it'll be a large draw, and, and the public is certainly invited to that. That's tomorrow? That is tomorrow, 5 o'clock, uh, Bernie Dallas Room, Goodell Hall. Uh, on the UMass Amherst campus. And just let me yes. stick this in here right now. If people want to learn about what you're about to tell us about, where can they go to learn to see, read, and understand it? Absolutely. Uh, 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 everyone can visit the Stebic website the web, uh, at UMass. It's S-T-P-E-C dot UMass dot E-D-U. And um, the, we have links to our social media, our Stepic Facebook page, our Stepic Instagram, our Stepic Twitter, where you have really, you can see on our Facebook page, photos of all the events we've been having over the years um, in coordination with Student Executive Committee and certainly um, the full program schedule for the Saturday celebration of Stepic at 50 um, will be on all that social media on our website. And we have a full day schedule on Saturday as well. Um, 12 to 5 is in the Marriott room of the Campus Center, um, and that's for uh, alums from the first class of STEPIC and later years. It's a mix of uh, the generations of STEPIC over the years, um, alumni who will speak about their paths from STEPIC, what drew them to STEPIC, um, what they learned and what they brought from STEPIC into the world. And then at 5 to 7.30, we have a great concert rally, open-air concert rally, right outside the student union. Uh, the students want to reclaim the public space after this pandemic, bring everyone together, uh, rather than being isolated, atomized individuals. Um, Gabriel and Ava have been point-personing uh, that co great concert rally. Susan the Bearish of Climate Action Now will be speaking there, and Climate Action Now will bring their organizers and, and their campaigns, and they've invited student organizations. And that's free and open to the public, 5 to 7.30, right on UMass's campus. And the Bread and Puppet Theater, the world-renowned Bread and Puppet Theater, will also be performing. They'll be joining the concert rally at the end, and then lead us on a little mini-march to the Mahar Auditorium uh, for a performance of inflammatory what is it called? Earthling Rants. And it's a great new uh, performance that they're doing. They're going on, back on tour. Uh, and that is also free and open to the public. And we welcome everyone. Just for the record, it is umass.edu slash stpec. Umass.edu slash stepic. If you want to look at those events and look at the major. Thank Absolutely you, important. Yeah, that, it, it's really important. So um, why should somebody who's not quite sure what major to choose, Gabrielle Futterman, why should they choose social thought and political economy? <laughs> Great question. Again, I think it engages you to look critically at the world, which in turn engages you to look critically at yourself and at your relationship with other people and how do we structure society? How can we structure society for the better? Um, I think there's a lot of hopelessness out there and I find Stepic to be very inspiring and very thought-provoking and also to boot, I think it's no coincidence that if you look at any uh, student organizing activity on campus anywhere, you'll find a STEPIC student probably in charge of the, of the organization. And that's, it's interesting being only, I don't know, 60 to 80 STEPIC students or, or less that they have a hand in all of the things at UMass that uh, we're organizing around. It's yeah. really inspiring. If you want practical experience in management and leadership, do not take the management and leadership major, just major in <laughs> Stepic. Like it's just, it, that's going to give you way more practical organizing and leadership experience than any like course of study would, I feel like. Uh, I want to 
I want to ask all three of you this question. Undergraduate college education is not just about an intellectual exercise. It's about who you meet and who you are and who you become. And you mentioned 60 to 80 STEPIC majors, STEPIC students at this time. And it seems to me it's probably a self-selecting group in some ways. And therefore, I think there must be the sense of community that comes out of this that's an integral part of this, of this experience. I'm wondering if you could talk to that. Yeah. Um, well, like Gabriel said, uh, you know, if you go to, if you attend any um, event, you know, protest, protest. event uh, on campus, you're very likely to find a Stefik student in leadership, I would say like 95% of the time. Um, and that really forges a lot of like pretty close bonds between people. Um, just, you know, it's very difficult to try and mobilize a campus. It's very difficult to try and politicize a campus. And as STEPIC students, we kind of have to be um, tapped into kind of, you know, particularly at UMass, you know, on a local level, we have to be tapped into the kind of uh, the, the beats of social pressure. Um, so that really, you know, creates this need for us to be in touch with each other, for us to pull you know, our academic and intellectual resources, but also just to know each other on a practical level. And does that feel like a separate, I don't mean s segregated in any way, but does that feel like a cadre of commu and community of STEPIC that's different from other experiences that undergrads have? I would say it's not I insular in any way, but we do try to have events together. We try to have movie nights together, um, STEPIC executive ho uh, committee hosts, things like that, pizza nights. We're, we're making a zine together for this uh, event, hopefully. Um, so we do try to find ways in this massive university to come together as a, as a major and get to know each other. Bill, uh, you knew my former partner, now deceased, Diane Esser. And Diane Esser and, and I, after I was a lawyer for a couple of years, we became partners. And during our, one of our first meetings, we were just talking. I didn't know what her undergraduate work was. She didn't know what mine was. And she said, oh, I was in this program called Social Thought and Political Economy. Oh at UMass, and I said, so was I. And during that conversation, she said that she felt so lonely in her feeling estranged from government and society until she met other people there. Mm -hmm. And then she found out she wasn't alone. And I still remember her words to this day, that uh, that's what happened to me at Stepic. I found like-minded people who helped me understand what I was experiencing. And I, I found readings and professors who helped me um, learn enough about it so that I could become an activist, even as a lawyer. And so uh, I have nothing but the fondest and uh, nothing but gratitude towards the program. So social thought and political economy, starting tomorrow at five o'clock, you said? Yes. And once more, what's happening tomorrow night? Uh, tomorrow night, five o'clock uh, on the UMass campus, uh, a uh, special public event, a lecture by Sylvia Federici. We're welcoming her to the campus. Um, author of Caliban and the Witch, Women, the Body, and Primitive Accumulation, and so many other books. And Ava Hawks, how do people find out more about what these festivities are? Uh, you can go to umass.edu slash stpec. That's umass.edu slash stepic. And Saturday. Yeah. And Saturday, 5 to 7.30, big open, rally open concert, concert, a lot of rally. fun. Please come between the Campus Center and the Please. Student Union. Speeches you. and music. Gabriel Futterman, Ava Hawks, and Director Wong Fan. I'm so grateful that you were here with us today, and um, so grateful that I'm going to be a part of this 50th anniversary. We're so it, grateful to have you. 
Oh, it, <laughs> believe me, the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we look forward to what's going on this weekend. We will be right back after these messages. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton School Committee avoided layoffs this week thanks to an additional $1.2 million in emergency funding from the city. Before the influx of emergency funds, the school district's $37 million budget was facing a $2.3 million deficit and job cuts to various positions across schools. The city also used pandemic relief funding to fill gaps and will rely on staff leaving or retiring, then not filling those positions, instead of layoffs to balance the books. A 28-year-old Deerfield woman faces multiple charges in the stabbing incident of an 82-year-old man in Montague on Saturday. Katie Flanagan was released on a $10,000 surety after pleading not guilty to assault and battery with a dangerous weapon and assault and battery with serious injury on a disabled person 60 or older. According to police reports, Flanagan was working as a personal care attendant for the victim's spouse when she reportedly stabbed him. Flanagan told police the alleged victim had been making sexual advances to her. Barnes & Noble employees at Mountain Farms Mall in Hadley want to start a union. The workers say they're underpaid and disrespected and believe they need representation to improve the work environment and negotiate better work conditions. According to the Gazette, a majority of signatures were collected from the 18 workers, allowing them to file for an election with the National Labor Relations Board. If successful, Hadley would become the first Barnes & Noble of unionized workers in the 785-store chain. Sun cloud combination today, a little breezy with west winds at 10 to 20 miles per hour, a high of 52 to 56. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures, upper 40s, low 50s, and overnight low of 30 to 36. Warmer tomorrow, sunshine 66 to 70, and we could hit 80 on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Tag, you're it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 101.5-1400-1240-WHMP. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Downtown Sounds? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op, a music store with new and used instruments and lessons. Live online or live in person. First lessons free when you buy an instrument. Plus, repairs of musical instruments and equipment. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. One thing I like about working at ServiceNet is that in addition to being a manager, I can still be a clinician. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. For people working private practice who want to also still have a commitment to community mental health, 
Working at ServiceNet gives me the opportunity to do both at the same time. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome back to our studio Jim Nash, who is the city councilor for Ward 3 in the city of Northampton, elected four times, now is the president of the city council, and prior to being elected president of the city council was the vice president of the city council when Gina Lichera, now the mayor, was president of the city council. I was talking to Jim, Councillor Nash, before we came on the air, and I learned some news that I'm really just processing. I'm <laughs> saddened, saddened by the news. Uh, but Jim, why don't you share with our listeners, if you would please, what you just shared with me? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, by the way, I've called uh, constituents about this, and I sent out an email this morning, and I'm I'm letting um, uh, people know that I will not be seeking another term on city council. Um, I have uh, by the end of uh, this year, I will have served seven years. And um, that I think it's time for, you know, there's, there's, Ward 3 has a lot of great leaders that are ready to step forward. And I think it's time for, to put out the call and have somebody else step into, into this role. Uh, I, I enjoy my work right now. I've enjoyed all of my work on, on council and that, um, that I look forward to the next eight months and getting stuff done and continuing to uh, be the council president. Um, I have to say, I've really enjoyed this role. Um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a real honor to work with uh, the colleague, my colleagues on council, and um, it, it's just been very satisfying. Councilor also, Jim Nash, I have to ask, this is Buzz. Uh, yeah. Is it that you have a seven-year itch and you've done it long enough and you feel fulfilled, or is it that you think it needs fresh blood with new eyes? You know, I think it's all of the above. I think there's a point, you know, I think for the role of counselor, there's, there's kind of a shelf life, that it's, it's, it's a job that, uh, that it's, it's seven days a week. It can be almost 24 hours a day. Um, it's, it's not like the mayor where... Uh, Mayor Narkowitz described it as drinking from a fire hose. It, I, I think it's more like you're holding on to a live wire, and that, um, and I think it's some time for somebody else to pick up the wire. <laughs> I, I, I'm interested in your description of this 24-hour-a-day, uh, seven-day-a-week job. It, yeah. it's, it's a reason I would never, never would have been able to do it or do it very well, which is... I know you go to the supermarket and constituents and non-constituents want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. walking down the street and people have things to share. And you, particularly as city council president, really are a 
representative of all of the residents of Northampton. And I think we all feel like we have something of a claim on you. And yeah. I'm, wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering if that just doesn't get tiring after a while. I mean, I understand it's in some ways it's really enervating. Um, uh, in some ways it's really energizing. It's both of those, but it seems to me it's, it's must be hard personally to have to be responsive to people all the time. You know, I love the job and it is a lot of work and that, um, and that it is one of those jobs when you're in leadership, it's it, whatever, whatever the organization where, whatever you're doing, it, 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 it has the demands and sometimes it's, you reach a point where it's probably good to pass it on to somebody else and that, um, and that sitting in the hot seat, um, you know, it, it, it's time to, there's other people who want to, I think there's other people who'd like to have this opportunity. I was just talking to a select board member who said, you know, it's a term, not a sentence. Right. <laughs> well, and, and I just want to say that I, I've, I thought long and hard about this and I deeply enjoy the job right now. And I fully intend to continue enjoying the job right down to the last minute, right down to in, inauguration. Well, I have a question for you because I received a call from a Northampton resident, so I'll put you on the hot seat right now. Oh, right a, man, <laughs> a man named Tony uh -huh. called me yesterday and wanted to understand what is going on with the increases in the water bill. He called sure. the Northampton City uh, office. They said expect increases in September. However, WHMP has reported that the increases will begin in 2024. So he wanted to understand, when should I expect to see these increases? Can you tell me anything about the exemptions and also about the stormwater uh, fee that apparently is also going up? And I guess as long as we're asking you to do all of that, you might as well tell us how we got into this problem, which was yeah. reported in the Gazette as well. Yeah. Okay, uh, water rates. Take, 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 take your time. Take rates. your time. Give us the you know. okay. Putting you on the hot seat since you're leaving. Yeah. Now. So um, yeah, go right ahead. So um, what what got us into this is our biggest customer in Northampton for water is Coca Cola. Uh, Coca Cola has uh, stated their intention of closing that plant down. They use twenty five percent of of our water, and they pay for it. And they pay for it, and that. Our water system is our water system. We're not, you know, paying some corporation to to run our water system. We are the customers. It is ours. It's kind of like a a, a co-op or a a condominium complex that you know when there's utility needs, everybody's got to step forward, and we're losing twenty five percent of our revenue. And so we needed to find a way to make up that that lost uh, money. The, um, the proposal that uh, the mayor put forward with the director of DPW was instead of uh, raising the use rates that, um, that to raise the meter fees. And by doing that, um, the, so putting the cost into meter fees allows us to increase the revenues, but also at the same time, since it's meter fees, we can offer exemptions. So folks who um, are seniors or folks on lower income, we can do that with the meter fees. We can't do that with the use rates. So that was that was a critical- Can you back up? Use rates, meter fees, what's the difference? And 
how much so money? Long, how much money are we talking about? All of us spending in addition. And while you're answering all of that, can you explain <laughs> why the water fees are separate and apart from the city budget? If it's our water department. Yeah. So, uh, wow. This is the, we're. we're going I didn't know we were doing this. We, we I got. Did. I got. I got ten <laughs> other things to talk to you about. He's okay. going to advance so his Buzz. resignation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having talked to Bill and Buzz and Dan today, I've decided to uh, move forward the resignation. <laughs> hey, hey, Bill, you got plenty of time to ask questions. All right, this one just had to go to the front. Okay. So, um, so our we it's our water department. It is separate from the city. Um, uh, that it it runs as an independent business for the city, um, just like we, we've talked about doing um, uh, uh, utilities for electricity and for broadband. That's, we've set this up, and so it needs, the, it, it needs the revenues of the customers to help make it run. Right. There's a fixed cost. Well, not fixed, but there is a, de a definable cost for running the water department. Coca-Cola is leaving with its 25% of usage. It's very significant customer. And just because Coca-Cola is leaving does not mean that the expenses of providing water to the city have gone down. The rest of the customers, which is to say both uh, businesses and residents, have to make up for it. And therefore, water fees are going to go up. Correct. Yes. And when, when is the fees supposed to go up? Do so you know, this roughly? is for fiscal year 24. So the city runs on, uh, with the fiscal year, starts July 1st. So as of July 1st, that's when the, the new rates will be in effect. In effect. And the new rates are going to be significantly higher. Yes. So, um, the, so the bad news is rates are, uh, on average, going to go, are going to go up about 33%, depending on your usage. But, um, but the... The good thing about using the meter rates is you can be really exact as to what it's going to be. For, for most people in the city who have a 5 eighths uh, meter, your rate is going to go up $244. And that's for, what for it's, the year. that's per year. And that's, not, that's an average cost? Or is that, that, that that's the actual by doing it through the meter fee, we can be very exact as to what you're going to pay. If it's if if it's based on you know how much uh, water you use, then then you'd have this variable thing, which we would say it would be much harder to to define. So, so the increase will be. Explain that to me one more time for those of us who are sitting in the back of the class who were not taking such copious notes at the beginning. So, if what the, is, what am, what is my? It's the two your water fee for your home yeah, is going to go up two hundred and forty four dollars annually. And that's true across the city for residents, for homes. It depends. Owners? There's different levels of of service, but the average homeowner, the average two family, three family, four family, it is at that five eighths uh, uh, meter size, and it'll be two hundred and forty four dollars. There are other customers out there like Coca Cola, which spends thousands a month. Uh, they have a they have a much larger meter. There's restaurants. There's Large you're you're literally talking about the size of the meter? Yes. Size of the meter, it represents the size of the feed water pipe. And, and five, five eighths of what? It's a five eighths inch pipe. Oh. Servicing okay. your home. And so the meter is for that size pipe. So it's about $21 extra per month, roughly. That sounds about right. right. Okay. How do you know all this? 
<laughs> well, I think the real question, uh, Council President uh, Jim Nash for Northampton, for me, I know about districts, sewer districts, water districts. Now we're having senior districts, and they're sort of self-governing. They usually have commissioners that make these kinds of decisions, but ultimately it's the city council who has to determine the price. Is that right? So we, um, yes, ultimately we are the, the body that's responsible for um, uh, approving this new water rate, and that is on us. Um, it's also on the mayor and department heads who brought these recommendations forward to us, and that, um, that it's our job to evaluate the plan they presented, and we, you know, by the way, we, last, um, last week was the first time we all, all nine of us met in person, and we All took, nine of us being the city council. All, yeah, we, that we were actually all in the same room, and that's the first time in over three years, and that I can tell you, after that vote, we, I called for a recess, and everybody was, it was just kind of quiet, that people just knew the gravity of the decision that they just made. And that, um, that counselors don't take this lightly, um, but it's, in our estimation, all nine of us, this was the best way to go. And the exemptions are really important for those people that uh, Absolutely. And there will be, uh, the, the mayor is organizing a presentation in the near future to let, you know, so people can show up and learn about how to uh, uh, get those exemptions. It's Northampton City Councilor uh, Jim Nash, the president of the council. And uh, when we come back, I'll let Northampton's own Bill Newman take over from here. I'll <laughs> shut up. We'll be right back. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Meltdown, the annual spring music and book bash for kids and their grown-ups. Brought to you by The River and Mass General Brigham's Cooley Dickinson Hospital. Saturday, April 22nd, Meltdown is at Hawks and Reed in downtown Greenfield for a day of free family fun. 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. rain or shine. Live music and authors on the Hawks and Reed main stage with Carrie Ferguson and the Grumpy Town Club Band, the Deedle Deedle Dees, and puppets with Tom Knight, along with great local authors like Sue Fuller, Ty Allen Jackson, and Mira Bartok. Outside on Court Square, the amazing acrobatics of the Show City Circus, Birds of Prey with Tom Riccardi, adorable dogs from Heroes Boarding and Training, and enjoy great local food from Cocina Lupita, Holyoke Thomas and Bart's Ice Cream. Meltdown, brought to you with the support of Mass General Brigham's Cooley Dickinson Hospital. Saturday, April 22nd, inside and outside Hawks and Reed in downtown Greenfield. It's rain or shine, and it's free. See you there. Some people know how to prepare seafood. Seafood's delicate. You don't want a heavy hand. Some people have the touch. Some of those people are in the kitchen at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, where there's a 40-year tradition of preparing seafood, wisdom passed along through the years. That's why when you have fish and chips at Paul and Elizabeth's, or Faroe Island salmon, or tempura shrimp with that light and lively orange ginger sauce, it's perfect every time. 
fresh seafood, Paul and Elizabeth's Inside Thorns in downtown Northampton. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues, our demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Northampton Ward, four, Ward 3 City Councilor Jim Nash, who is also president of the Northampton City Council. Jim, for those of our listeners not from Northampton in particular, take 30 seconds and tell us what you do in real life, since although everything you've said today makes me think City Council president and City Councilor generally is kind of a full-time job, you actually have another job. Uh, correct. My, my day job, as I call it, is a, I am a vocational counselor. I work with folks with disabilities. Um, I focus on uh, youth who are transitioning out of high school, uh, but I also work with uh, adults as well. Um, that it, it, my focus is on career and um, education and getting people out in the community and being uh, leading uh, fulfilling lives. Jim, we were talking in the first uh, segment about the new water rate, the $250 mm -hmm. plus a year increase per meter in Northampton. I want to spend 30 more seconds on that, sure. if we could, please. You mentioned exemptions, and my understanding is that those who qualify for exemptions based on income and age, their rate actually won't increase. Am I being That is correct that there might be a, a difference, a penny this way or that way. Um, it can also vary a bit on if somebody actually decreases their use, um, it could go down as well. But for folks who qualify, um, the, the, that 33% increase will be gone. It'll go away. Let's turn to another subject I know that's very important to uh, – people in Northampton, and that is reparations, the Committee to Study Racialized Harm. Can you tell us where that stands? Yeah, right now um, we are in the process of accepting uh, applications from folks who uh, would like to serve on the commission. Uh, we uh, are seeking up to 11 folks to um, uh, help form the commission. The um, I, I got off the phone with our, the amazing Laura Krutzler uh, just uh, before coming on the air, and um, there is a web page. If you go to the city website um, and um, and and uh, look under uh, boards and uh, commissions, you will find uh, the the commission to study racialized harms page, and the application is there. There's an electronic application. Um, you can also. Uh, fill it out and then um, and print it up and bring that in as well. So you can submit in person uh, with a hard copy or uh, apply electronically. Do you know, Councillor, when that application is due? What's the deadline? Uh, the deadline, I, I believe it's the end of the month um, that there is a hard dead. The deadline is on the application. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and we should note, this is the uh, committee that will study 
reparations and will come out with recommendations about reparations in Northampton. They're, they're, they are empowered to, um, to go through city records and, and um, yes, and, and, and study where possible harms have happened. And, and I think it's the right first step that when, when it comes to, um, you know, if, if there's, if, if you harm somebody, the first thing is to really just understand what it is you've done. That, um, and, then, and then you, you work towards, um, you know, the apology, but you, you need to, you really need to understand what you did first and just acknowledge that. Two other topics I want to talk to you about in the little time we have left. A new speed limit has been proposed for the city of Northampton. Yeah, so this is this is kind. Of, it's kind of funny because it's actually it's it's uh, it's new but it's old. So back in 2016, um, uh, Mayor Narkowitz suggested to me said, "Hey, you might want to look into this thing because I was very interested uh, on traffic and speeding and um, and pedestrian safety in Ward Three, and it has to do with opting into this." Um, uh, Mass General Law that allows cities and towns to accept a lower statutory speed limit. Because the general speed limit, as I understand it, is 30, 30 so miles an hour. So the current statutory speed limit is 30 miles an hour. And I want to explain something here so people really get it, that um, the statutory speed limit is not something you see posted anywhere. What most people see are the regulatory speed limits. These are the signs, the black and white numbered signs. You see them on the street, 30 miles an hour, 35 miles an hour. Um, and the statutory speed limit applies to uh, public ways where the speed limit is not posted. And uh, that Mayor Narkowitz called it a thought problem. That how do you get people to drive the, uh, a speed limit that is not posted. So um, that uh, this was actually introduced in 2017 by me and Councillor uh, O'Donnell, and uh, currently Councillor Jarrett and I are work are reintroducing it with new information, both from the fed the feds and from the Commonwealth, that can make implementation a bit um, bit more effective. Okay, and so we're going to go to 25 miles per hour soon. Well, we're hoping to have this this uh, this effective uh, July first, but also at the same time, we just want to let people know it still is a bit of a tree falling in a forest, and nobody hears it. But there are other things that we're looking to do to lower speed limits across the city, and this is a first step. Finally, it's a national holiday. It's someone's birthday. Yeah, it's Bill Dwight's birthday. Happy birthday, Bill. Oh, uh, my God, the banks are going to close down. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <It's> an <laughs> Let's all sing. Happy birthday to you. And thank you all for singing out there. Thank you for joining us on Talk to Talk. Remember to walk the walk. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome. Does your partner threaten or isolate you? Do they control where you go, who you talk to, or what choices you make? Are you afraid of what they might do? 
you have the right to a healthy and safe relationship. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, physical, Safe Passage is here for you. It's all free and completely confidential. Call our helpline to explore your options and plan for safety. That's 413-586-5066, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit safepass.org today. Want to know more about local history, literature, and education? Hilltown Families bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place. Funded by a year-long grant from Mass Humanities, you can download guides anytime 